to the So Wizards podcast. I'm Kevin Broom, along with co-host Rod Post Cunningham. And today we are joined by Troy Halliburton, who I think is pretty well known in Wizards world. And we are going to talk about coaching. So, uh, Troy, we'll give you a plug before we get into it and then at the end as well. So where can people find you and uh, follow your work and that kind of stuff? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, thanks uh, for, for that gracious uh, welcome, my guy, Kevin. And uh, it's definitely nice to get on with you and Ron. I'm an avid listener of the podcast, so it's an honor for me to be on. Like, like this is if, if this is the Wizard Smart Podcast, look, I, I just want to come and talk some smart stuff with, with, with some with some good people. Might be the smart ass comment. Uh, it's, it's, it could be it could be both. It could be that too, Kevin. Like, I love it. Right. Uh, but no, like uh, people can find most of my wizards writing currently at the Washington City paper. Uh, but you can always find my musings on Twitter at Troy Hallenberg. Uh Yeah, I think I think that's really like I'm I'm one of the more open uh, journalists who like to really go back and forth with Wizards fans and talking about the team. And I feel like this is what we're, what we're going to talk about today is the topic of conversation amongst Wizards Twitter at the moment. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, what we're going to talk about today, thank you for the uh, nice setup, segue <laughs> setup. It's like you're, you're a pro at this or something. But um, anyway, what we're going to talk about today is coaching. And um, Ron looks like he's got a lot to say, and I know I have plenty to say on this. But, you know, Wes Unsell has gone, had a nice honeymoon period where it went for quite a while, you know, got off to a great start. And I think that bought him probably an extra few weeks on the back end. But it seems like the... The honeymoon is coming to an end and we're getting into the, the part where people start starting to question what he's doing. And um, chief among those, we've been talking about this, Ron and I, for what, Ron, how long? We, we started talking about Unsell in January? Um, November off the record, January officially. <laughs> well, yeah, I was like spending, you know, I, I won't ever snitch on myself, but I was sending texts to him about, hey, Look deeply into this, and he wanted to let it play out. So, yeah, I, I felt like you know, it's you don't like a few weeks in, you got to give a guy a chance and, and all that kind of stuff. But I gotta say, I'm just not as impressed as I figured I would be based on all the praise he got um, coming in. Yeah, I mean, look, I have to agree with both of you in front when it comes to that because honestly. The 10 and 3 start, even when it was going on, I always felt like it was a bit of a mirage just because of like how they were winning basketball games. They really weren't playing basketball, Bradley Bill, but playing good basketball. Bradley Bill, as a star player, definitely wasn't playing good basketball. They seemed to be winning in like kind of a, a fluky manner at the beginning of the year. And but I do think that the 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 cast of characters like changed so much throughout this uh the season and uh the rotations, they just begin to get a little wonky. And I, you know, you start having to ask questions of whether, you know, is, is somebody telling him to play these different rotations? Because I mean, there's, there's been some odd occurrences uh, that have transpired through, uh, through this wizard season. Like the time when Thomas Bryant came back from injury and you had Thomas Bryant and Montrez Harrell getting the majority of the uh, center minutes when every statistic would tell you that Daniel Gafford was the best center. And so, that to me screamed a front office influence and coaching decision. And so when you start like when you start like looking at things like that going on, it, you have to start asking what control or how good of a job can Wes Unsell really do? 
But, you know, I think that we have a lot of questions about what he's done over the course of this season. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that's that's been a bit, I, there's lots of questions about, you know, about rotations and that kind of stuff. For me, it's like the rotations are, at least in a lot of ways, explainable. You know, you want to work Thomas Bryant in. I, I don't see why you need to then like bench uh, Gafford. That didn't make much sense to me. Or even Harold. It's like you know Scott Brooks, who it this a year ago, it was anybody but Brooks. Anybody, it would be a better an upgrade on Scott Brooks. Well, we got anybody, and he's doesn't. It's been about the same to me, honestly. Right. From my I mean, eye, they, they they've been almost on the same exact below average level as NBA coaches. Like the Wizards look like the same. It's it's the same old Wizards. Hashtag so Wizards. That's what's going on to me. Yes. (laughs) Don't don't disrespect Scotty like that. (laughs) Scotty's better than this guy. Like, come on. I mean, okay. I think think that Scotty had the advantage of having a much better personnel and that if if he would have had a Bradley Bill, if Wes Unsell Jr. would have had a Bradley Bill who, who was scoring 30 points a game for the entirety of the season, I feel like that he would be much better looking as a coach. Like that, we have to, we have to like compare. That's a, that's a big thing. Well, now I'm disappointed well, with what he's done with what they've had, but he hasn't been dealt a, a fair deck like for, for, for the course of this season. So here's, a, I mean, a couple of questions though, is one of them is that it seemed like, you know, earlier in the season and really throughout the season that, Unseld and the Wizards were trying to get Beal to play differently than he had been playing. You know, that with Brooks, he was the last couple of years, it was just go score. We need you to score, go score. And he was, he was out there scoring. I mean, it didn't matter who was out there with him. He was going to try to get buckets. And this season, it seemed like they wanted him to be much more of a playmaker, uh, much more of a sort of a, 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 a passing point guard almost rule like you know definitely they still wanted him to score but it was pretty clear that they were de-emphasizing his scoring or trying to get him to spread the ball around a little bit more than he had I think I think that's it I don't think that they were trying to de-emphasize his scoring I think that they were trying to emphasize ball movement Mm -hmm. as something that we really hadn't seen from the Wizards in past years and I think at the beginning of the year we had immaculate ball movement that's when because Spencer really started out hot um, I mean, over the course of the season, he played with the minutes with him not on the court with Bradley Bill looked like the guy who's performing in Dallas right now. And so I think that, you know, for honestly, Bill probably had to make the biggest adjustment as, as far as like changing his style of play with Wes Onsell Jr. And I feel like, you know, at first that he was willing to do that when it was kind of working and the team was winning games. But as soon as they got, you know, to that 500 point, I feel like, you know, Bill kind of started trying to ramp up and start go back playing to the old way. But, you know, for some reason, somebody took his, uh, his three-point shooting ability. But I think that that had a major impact as far as, you know, Coach Wes Unso Jr. coming into the season, talking about how they emphasized uh, all defense for a short training camp, mind you. So training camp was really only like a hot two weeks this year. Like, it wasn't like they went away to somewhere and had this extensive training camp. And from my understanding, because I was on the Zoom calls with the coaches, like, they were working on all defensive stuff for pretty much the entirety of that two-week stretch. Mm-hmm. And so they're implementing a whole new offense. 
And Bill, I don't think that he adjusted well to that. And when it was, like I said, when it started going bad, he started playing the way that he knows. And honestly, this year, it just wasn't good enough. Yeah. I mean, yeah, those are, those are, all your points are well taken, right? But also, but like add this, like add this ingredient to, to the mix and then let's see where it takes us, right? Do you remember when the team was about 10 and five, still pretty, still pretty decent, the first rumblings of the offensive system start coming out because, you know, all of us who, who watched Bill, you know, blossom into the player he is today, like we watched him develop, um, we were noting like, hey, Bill, Bill isn't playing well. And then his comments about, well, the system. Kuzma, the Kuzma, the version of Cal that we're seeing now, we did not see in the beginning of the year. It was it had people like Kevin calling him mid and, you know, calling yeah. us all like, hey, you, you were dumb to, to buy the fool's goal, right? So, and then KCP, I mean, ah, wasn't really doing anything. And then you start hearing like those particular players and Spencer himself as well talk about, well, this is the offensive system. So, like, now that you, you added in that, okay, they only work on defense, perhaps during the year, that's when it shifts to, like, this is the offense I want to run. Okay, we took advantage of, like, you know, everyone filling each other out. New season. We just ended the season. We, we stole some wins from some teams that, you know, otherwise will, like, wax us if they played while they were in rhythm. And I'm, I'm wondering if, like, that's when he implemented this uh, – I mean, you all call it offense. I call this shit horrible. Um, but that's when he when he implemented whatever the hell they were doing uh, currently, right? And then that happened, losing streak, Colorado style, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie post-trade, quite frankly, comes out and dry snitches that, yeah, the coach, this is the offense he wanted. Uh, you also had, like, Bill – won't quite call it dry snitching, but you know I got to be me. This is this is who I am. See the game after Utah uh, when he went off, you know, banged on Gorbert like like Rudy started talking his started talking his shit. He's like, well, you know, the offense, I'm the scorer, I have to do him. And I wonder if like you know, even if we pin it on the players, like what offense is what has made these players like tap out and like tune him out. And if that's you know added to what you all say. I just want to know where that takes us. I agree with everything that you said. And I think that the one key element that we're missing here, the one player that we're missing that we haven't discussed yet is Montrez Harrell. And I think that he played a big role in kind of the, 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 the dissension within the team as far as the, 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 what was going on with the offense. I feel like he was the first, the catalyst, who started talking about and loudly voicing his opinion in the locker room that he didn't like what was going on. And so, you know, I feel like a lot of players kind of agreed with him. And you, you mentioned that you alluded to it, but let's dive right into it. Spencer Dinwiddie uh, just last week said that, you know, that he, he was told to stop shooting the ball. That, that they was, he was told to pass more. That's what he said. And now both Wes Unsell Jr. came out and, and, and Cal Kuzma, they – they, they, they took the high road and they, you know, didn't choose to say whether that was true or not. But, I mean, just reading into it, I don't think that he really has anything to lie about as far as, you know, like the coaching staff or maybe even players on the team telling him that they wanted him to play a certain way. But, like, honestly, you can see it through the actions on the court. He started playing a different style of basketball. 
And so when you start talking about coaching and being the head coach, this comes back to leadership. And so this is, this is again, a, a, a negative mark on uh, what Wes Unso Jr. has done for the over the course of the season. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, I would, I would love for you to hear you chime in from an X's O's perspective and break down to us what we're seeing. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know about X's and O's because, you know, here's the thing. It's like, what, what do coaches do? Like, what's the coach's job, right? And one of them certainly is the X's and O's. And the X's and O's have not exactly been mind-blowing. I mean, they run a lot of horns and they run a lot of these, like, you know, pistol actions and that kind of stuff. I mean, it's all standard NBA stuff. There's yeah, nothing, basic. Yeah, it's it, it's basic, but they it's it's weird because it's both basic and yet they are there's also like complexity in the sense of they run actions to get to other actions rather than just like running the action they want to run to start. Maybe with. They, they don't have the personnel to do the type of stuff that you're talking about, and maybe that's a problem too. Yeah, well, and, and that's the thing is it's always hard to you know to to suss out what's coaching and what is the players? What is the quality of the players? They don't have good players. And that's just true. And it's been true for, for a while. You've got a few guys who are pretty good, but they don't have good players. But be that as it may, it's like they ought to be able to inbound the ball, right? <laughs> and and we're talking 66 games into the season, and they're, uh, they, they took a five-second because they could not inbound the ball. And because apparently – they couldn't think to call a timeout. You got five guys on the floor plus coaching staff. They can all count to five, right? And and yet they still take a violation. And it's just like I've never I, I can't remember ever seeing an NBA team struggle as much inbounding the ball as the Wizards have this season, you know. And uh, so it's um yeah, it gets it gets to the point where it's a little baffling of. Of, of how of, of where these X's and O's and certainly on defense. I mean, again, they're, they're not trying to do anything mind blowing and they're not reinventing. They're not like full court press to try to get steals and, and push it the other way. They're not running like Paul West has quote unquote defensive system. They're, they're not, you know, leaking a guy out every single play it's and yet they, they can't stop anybody. They can't stay in front of anybody. And uh, they keep putting these inexperienced, not very good defensive big men on islands and, you know, forcing them to make plays that they're not really good at doing. And so back to the, like the, the question that I, that I posed when I started on this little rant is like, what, what is it that coaches do? Right. And so X's and O's are certainly part of it, right. It's putting it in a system, but the biggest thing that they do see, I mean, coaches are really like, you know, I don't know about CEOs, but they are certainly like department managers, right? In terms of business. Managing so, relationships. Yeah. Managing so, people. Yeah. Managing so, expectations. Exactly. Exactly. And so the first thing they're doing is managing their coaches, right? They, they manage their staff. They, they all have all these coaches now, every NBA team, they've got more coaches than they have players. And so that's the first thing. And each coach has something specific that they're responsible for. Then the next step after that is you're managing the players, right? And you also have to manage your relationship with the front office, you know, and then with the refs, and then you're a spokesman as well. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff, but to your point, that managing the relationships, because the X's and O's part is like the, that's the taken for granted part in the NBA, right? right? Everybody, we could go up and down the list of coaches, you know, Every single coach can draw a, a pistol. Everyone can draw, you know, 
10 different offensive um, plate, you know, systems and, and five different defenses or probably a hundred different defenses, right? I mean, they, they can all do that. And the question though is, can they get everybody to buy in? The great coaches could get buy-in from their great players and then also get those, the, the role players, the lesser players to buy into doing other jobs, right? Doing less glamorous jobs so that the stars could do their thing. So a big part of what they do is managing, managing the players, managing the players' expectations and managing their roles and doing it all in a way that forms into like this cohesive whole where it's a unit where everybody's working together, but also where everybody stays motivated, everybody stays bought in, everybody stays committed to the collective, right? And, you know, these issues like, oh, well, we've got expiring contracts and we have guys who, you know, they're looking for the next contract and they want shots and they want uh, minutes and every NBA team, that's every NBA team, no matter what, every single NBA team the, the, the has guys who are looking for the next contract. They want shots. They want to, to score. They want more minutes. They think the guy ahead of them sucks. You know, every NBA team has that. And so it's not an excuse. It's it, the, the coach's job is to manage their day. Yeah, so like, um, like hearing both of you say it, like teasing it out, what I got from that is that the first iteration of the 2021-2022 uh, Washington Wizards, they tuned them out. They quit on them. Like they put it, put it plainly, they didn't fuck with him anymore. And now I think uh, we're in danger of repeating that. Like, so start with, with Denny, right? He's struggling. Like, he's struggling. We're not going anywhere. The only way for him to get better is to, like, work through that struggle. When you pull him out, put him right on the bench, you play uh, journeyman ahead of him. Like, let's call Sato, like, love him, but let's call him what he is. Let's call Neto what he is, journeyman. Um, when you put them ahead of him, you kind, you, you're, you're implying that the rookie has to play great. And then I think uh, someone from the Bullets Forever account tweeted out, Oh, so only when, you know, the young guys make mistakes are they pulled from the game. And yet you're playing KCP. I mean, you know, he gives up backdoor cuts so easily. LeBron would have cursed his ass out, like like 100%. And, you know, you're, you're playing these guys over the ones you need to develop. You're probably putting that implied, like, implicitly, you're putting that pressure on them to play better or else I'm sitting your ass, right? So I think he's going to lose um, – players who very well may be here for for long-term duration and so all of that tied into you know Kevin's your point about uh you know you got managed relations and like like Troy your point about what Dinwiddie said coming true like you know this is coming from up high and uh also the team you know you got to take a second to think how much does the front office respect them if we're going to tell you what we want you to do so we don't think you're that talented. We think you need training wheels on, and we have to direct you. And so when you look at it in a total, and like in a final account, and it's like he's he's lost one iteration. He's on a precipice of losing another, and yet people want to let him come back and like run it back. Well, well, you know what I'm saying. Well, when you talk about managing egos and managing people, managing relations, we're assumed to have two max contract players on the team. And one guy just coming from the the uh, basically being an understudy and then a shade of like Luka Doncic who who didn't like it. You think he, he wants to take a backseat now? How do you 
how do you create a system culture where everyone buys into that when you have to design something where everyone can eat where if you play this way you will make money for years because i carved out a role for you and he's not doing it instead he's fucking with people money they're losing money because of him thomas bryant career may be over because of him you should never play them Ron, I think you brought up uh, a lot. You you brought up one particular point that I really want to address right now. You said it's like they have training wheels on them. And when you look at it from everything from the hire, from them taking the, 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 let's be honest about it. They took an extended period of time. And, you know, some people might say they settled on Wes Unsell Jr. Because, you know, this was a game of musical chairs and the music stopped. And, you know, we were like one of the only two teams standing left. Like, as far as, like, all the good coaches were hired early in, the, in, in this hiring process. And so they got a coach who had zero head coaching experience on any level of basketball. And so I think that they've tried to put training wheels on him for the entirety of the season. But it's like, that, didn't, that doesn't make any sense because they never really explained, uh, they never brought in an experienced head coach to help explain to him how to be a head coach. And so they, they, they almost put him in a bad position, like, from the beginning. Like, if you're going to bring in this inexperienced coach and you're going to babysit him and put training wheels on him, the least you could do is give him a guy who knows how to coach. Like, yeah. why would you just set him up to fail with an inexperienced coaching staff? It doesn't really make sense from a leadership standpoint, from, from, from everywhere. So these are some really good points. Uh, the training wheels thing is, is fascinating. And one of the things that's kind of um, interesting about this is, of course, while Unseld is inexperienced as a head coach, he's a very experienced coach. I mean, his resume as a coach was not that different from, say, Eric Spolster, um, you know, before before Spo got the job, right? Started as a video coordinator, came up through the ranks, um, all that kind of stuff, right? And so it's like, Unseld was supposed to be, but to see, this is the thing, and we don't know how he It's different when you have Pat Riley over your shoulder, who you yeah. can go to and That's ask right. any question about what should I do about this situation? This That's player right. is saying this, this, like that yeah. is the ultimate crutch that you can lean on. Let's talk, you want to talk about a trust fall? Yeah. Like, come on, like if you're a first time head coach and you can trust fall into Pat Riley, like that, that's a different conversation. Yeah. And there were stories too. At all. <laughs> you know, where like LeBron and, and, you know, some of the stars were not particularly pleased with Spo early in, in, in you know, in his tenure there. And uh, they went to, to, to Riley to kind of complain and that kind of stuff. And Riley basically told him, he's the coach, F off, <laughs> you know. <clears throat> and that's, um, you, you need that kind of stuff. But that's such a good point that he had Riley to go to. Um, he had somebody, uh, you know, a sounding board, somebody to go to and say, how do I do this? You know, what, what's, and, you know, this, I would, it'd be interesting to look back and see what his staff was like. But I mean, when you're like lead assistant is Joseph Blair and nothing wrong with Blair as a coach. He seems to be a perfectly fine he's a, coach. He's a, he's a Harlem Globetrotter, bro. Yeah. Like, right. I mean, he's, but, but he's never been a coach. I mean, a head coach. And, it, you know, and, and it certainly helps to have somebody with that kind of experience on. But see, this is where I was going with this is one other factor that has to be sort of brought into this is that they in hiring Unsell, right? It's that name, Wes Unsell, to be their coach, they've made it very difficult for them to, to fire him. 
right? It, he, he's, he's got, I mean, he's got a long, long leash with this team because what are they going to do, right? I mean, they, they hired him in part because of the story. And um, I'm sure they felt like he was going to be a good coach and all that kind of stuff. But really, they, they did hire him because of the name. They hired him because his dad was the most important person in this franchise, um, you know, the most important figure in the history of this franchise. And so they wanted that connection with the past. They wanted that story. And then they gave him the roster that they gave him. Right. And they they gave him the coaching staff or let him pick the coaching staff. He pretty much brought many of the same guys back in um, who had been there with Scott Brooks. And so that's another front um, office thing. I mean, yeah, they're trying to groom Ryan Richmond and he keeps making it from coaching staff to coaching staff, you know, but he's not helping a young coach either. He never he coached one year with the Capital City Go-Go. So yeah. like, yeah, I mean, they it's a complete when you, it's kind of criminal to look at. The, the, the inexperience of a, having a, a first-time ever head coach and then putting him with an inexperienced coaching staff. Yeah. Like, that just concept in itself seems like the front office has to take some responsibility and, like, some culpability for that action in itself because it doesn't seem to lead, like, that That logically would lead to a winning situation. Just, that, just those acts, like, just make everything else equal. It doesn't have to be the son of the former, you know, right most famous person in the uh, history of the franchise, hiring a first-year head coach with no experience and putting him with an inexperienced coaching staff is not a formula that would lead to winning. And yeah. that's a question that should go to Tommy Shepard. Like, it, that, it, like it, that's his fault. <laughs> yeah, and so to, to your point, I mean, they've done the same thing with players where they bring in these young guys and then put no structure around them, no support system around them. And you contrast it, say, with Brooklyn, who hired Steve Nash, who had no coaching experience. I don't, he hadn't even been in the system. Yeah, well, Mike D'Antoni on his staff. Yeah. And, and they hired Mike, Mike D'Antoni as his top assistant, right? You know, that's, that's the kind of thing. Like even with Chauncey Billups, right? In Portland, the, who they hired? Scott Brooks. Hired Scott Brooks, <laughs> you know? So um, it's, it's one of those things where, yeah, that's a, it's a really good point. Yeah. So, so like maybe, you know, not taking a, the conspiracy level but like maybe this was a ploy you already mentioned and you're right about that it was late in the game when the wizards uh decided on their head coach because they were trying they weren't showing scott brooks the due respect he deserved like i mean you can knock you can knock the team the last couple of seasons but the players there i mean i think kevin wants phrase it as we had vegan wings trying to play three and d out there <laughs> in regards to, you know, the players like that, that we had to settle on. So like maybe this was like a feel good story um, and, and we hope it works out. And even with that said, like, like Kevin mentioned, he, you know, he's been close to the NBA action forever. And from all previous reports I read on him, he's inquisitive. He, he acts, he's a curious person. Um, and he, he just works and learns how to get better with the ability to, like, whatever he needs to do, he needs to get it done. So he checks, theoretically, all of the twos that uh, – all the attributes that the other pretty good coaches in the NBA have. The thing he doesn't check is, like, a, a mind, a basketball mind that helps raise the team. He, 
thinking about it, like I, I would say Kevin posed the question, what's the number one role for coaching? And I think it's for a razor, right? Like, so, and you do that by your X's and O's is one component, your relationship with the players, the way you manage them. And you still need something that allows you to like raise the floor. Be it, if you're not good with X's and O's, be like Mark Jackson, Jason Kidd, you're a player coach, they respect you. They, they will go to war for you. We already know, you know, Montrez, if he could have slapped the coach, he probably would have, like on some Latrell Sprewell stuff, right? Like, that type of guy, he, I, I think he is. I don't want to say he is, but that's, that's just my opinion. Sorry, Trezor, if you, if you hit it, no disrespect, man. Anyway, so it's like he's missing that one trait that allows you to raise the floor. We thought it was his defense until the numbers proved otherwise. You can never say it was his offense. The players have said otherwise. And the people relationship, he, again, it bears repeating, you know, he's ruined Thomas Bryant's career. He could have, he could have like uh, stunted Daniel Gaffer's growth. Like I'm growing into a better player and then here I am benched. And yeah, Gaffer stayed a professional, you know, like, so he, and then like Rui, we see it now with like Rui Hachimura, like, you know, he, he deserves more minutes, regardless of what you you think of him or not. You don't spend a number nine pick on someone to play in like you know fourteen, eighteen minutes on a team that's going nowhere. More more well put together franchises would you know would have set out starting five. See like Houston, you know, have no need for John Wall to play. They let the young guys develop. Um, OKC last year with uh, certain players as well. So he so he doesn't have people relationships, he doesn't have that one skill, and he doesn't have the X's and O's because it's Ethan Bell. So it's like, what does he have? How can he be this, uh, as Troy, you put it, manage people, expectations, and I forget the third one. And then Kevin, as you put it, uh, you know, like scheme kind of CEO. He has none of these attributes. Yeah, I, I'm with you, Ron. I, I think that he's not really displaying that he has these attributes. Like, I, I think that, uh, to me, I think that another thing that, I, like, his his willingness to adjust on the fly or just, you know, like, I think that he's just too rigid as a coach. Like, I feel like he 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 sets his game plan, and he might have had a good game plan, you know, coming into it. But then something in within the game happens that should force him to shift his game plan, and he doesn't shift his game plan. He just kind of forges ahead with what he put on the board, on the whiteboard, before the game started. That's, like, that's what, like, the vibe that I'm getting from him. And honestly, like, it, it, to me, it, the, the, the managing of people aspect of it, like, that might be the biggest thing that he's probably uh, not really had done a good job at for the course of this season. It, it, like, if I had to, like, put, like, uh, like, like a percentage, not, a, not even a percentage, I'd just say, that like that is probably one of the things like like because he let the team you know I know they're like <laughs> shout, shout out to uh, the, the guy Quentin Mayo you know look when 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 he's wrong I'll be the first one to say he was wrong but on this situation when he was right when he said that you know the players are saying that the inmates are running the asylum I, I kind of heard that that stuff might have been true like and 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 you know and, like like if if that's the vibe that you're getting out of this locker room. And you have a guy who's the head coach who literally did nothing. Like, <laughs> like he just sat there and didn't try to manage it at all. Like that, that might be a, a bad sign or red flag to me as far as can this person like handle 
like the ups and downs of of an NBA season? Can he handle like volatile personalities? Like if he gets to the point where you know Montrez Harrell is like the, the loudest voice in the room, louder than the coaches and the coaching staff, if he's saying you know telling them, oh nah, we need to do this, we need to do that, and he's a, a guy coming off the bench, like this says something about. Like, who is in that locker room being able to be the voice of reason or to be the leader and try to fix things? Obviously, it's not Bradley Bill. Obviously, it's not Wes Unsell Jr. I mean, so that, I mean, we, we have, it's, it's a voiceless team, apparently. And so, you know, we're, we're looking at a guy who, I mean, that that's just, that's just not going to cut it as far as being able to be the leader of men and, 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 and come out and, and, and be a good winning basketball coach. I think that like that that needs to be addressed this offseason for sure. Kevin, what, what are your thoughts yeah, on this? Yeah, so what you were saying, what the, the word that you just used, rigid, is um, a really good one to describe like his game planning. You know, the, the joke on Twitter has been the note cards, right? It's like if it's not on his note cards, can't do it. And yeah. um, that's if and then you contrast that with um, some of the coaches who have done who who are the, the widely acknowledged to be at the top of the field right and yeah, so like, like 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 nick nurse what he did in that finals two years ago yeah i mean he pulled out every trick that you would ever see from a coach like he like he, he didn't stick to anything like everything right. was up for grabs right and so and one of the things that he that's great about nick nurse is if you listen to him talk about those teams right and um when they had Kawhi, before they had Kawhi, the year after when they they won like crazy, even though Kawhi had left and all that kind of stuff, they really had no replacement for him, right? Is that he credits the players. He just talks about how, you know, he'll say, yeah, I had an idea. And he said, but those players, anything I asked them to do, they would just do it, right? And so, but the point was, is that that nurse, he, you know, he came up through that background of not through the NBA. He, he came up through, you know, playing, coaching overseas, uh, being a player coach, um, from for basically sort of like a semi-pro league, right? I mean, he he did he he got a, a team, a G League team started in Iowa so that he could coach it. You know, I mean, he's 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 been gone through that minor league system where change is the constant, right? And you're constantly adjusting. And then there are other paths though that work. Like Ty Lue has become a terrific coach in part because he can take whoever it is that you put out there and he'll figure out a way to, if he's not going to beat you, he's at least going to give you a hard time. Right. I mean, you think about that team where the, uh, just that game a few weeks ago, where they came back from 35 down against the wizards and, you know, he got, he got a lot of credit. This was great. You know, he was like, well, we, he got a lot of credit for, you know, changing the lineup and the comeback and all that kind of stuff. And he was like, we're just resting our main guys, you know, for the next game. So, and, <laughs> you know, it wasn't like some great strategic thing, but the point is, is that Lou actually is great at making those adjustments, you know, those, those in-game adjustments, tweaking things, figuring things out. Um, you know, think about like the job M.A. Udoka has done this year, you know, same sort of thing where he's, he's figured out how to, how to make these personalities work together. He's figured out how to get them to play defense and how to, how to get a workable offense around this. And, you know, that's, that's something that, that Unsell has not been able to figure out how to do here. Yeah. I don't, it's, it may be like, I, I think that it might be too early to say that, 
I just think that for me, I think that when you and, and Kevin, you brought something, you brought up something when you were talking about um, Nick Nurse's experience. Like he's had all of these variety. Like I'm sure he's probably been done some CBA stuff and overseas stuff, and like he had to like he's been in in situations where like coaches like just really just you know start, you have to get creative like in those situations. And I feel like because West Elsa Jr. has come up in this like in the in that the NBA hierarchy. Like, that's why he knows, though, I've seen every coach that I know and every coach staff that I've been on have praised uh, the veterans. So that's why I'm going to trust my veterans. I'm going to, this is my first time as a coach. I know I'm just going to bank on these, I get, that these are my veterans and I'm going to do this. That's like what he's coming, like how he's coaching and how he's portraying, like, you know, what he wants. But at the end of the day, I feel like he's being influenced by some of that, or he could just really believe like, oh, and the veterans. Like, but I, I mean, to me, like the fact that they keep starting uh, how Neto at point guard, it's like, it's like either they're trying to lose basketball games, like on purpose, they're trying to tank, or like this is just a major character flaw as a coach to to just keep believing in this guy because he's a quote unquote veteran. Because I mean, th- like any sane coach, how Neto would have been lost his starting job as a starting point guard like three weeks ago. Like for any like actual good basketball coach, like we we're we're we're, we're operating at a handicap because we have a point guard who doesn't know how to play point guard. Yeah, like, yeah. He's an off- and, and it's an interesting contrast again to compare him with his predecessor Scott Brooks is that Neto had his best season of his career last season playing for right. Scott Brooks as a starter. But the thing is, he wasn't starting at point guard. You know, he was he was not the primary guard. He, he was starting with Beal and Westbrook, and really what Neto was doing was playing a shooting guard role, similar to like how John Paxson played back in the day, or, you know, his job was not to be the primary playmaker. His job was to, to, uh, you know, play off of Beal and Westbrook and to hit the open shots. And that was really all he had to do and be, be a pest on defense, right? Just play hard, hit open shots, attack closeouts. That was it. Now asking him to run the offense, I mean, he's not, not within, it, it, like, it's not in his purview for, for his skill set at all. It, right. It's not his fault that he's not that good. He just isn't, you know, and he's better at other things than what they're asking him to do. Yeah. He's just undersized, too. Like, he, he doesn't look up. He, he cannot put, like, he has no point guard attributes, right? And so I'm with you, Troy. Like, having him come out there, trotting him out there game after game to do the same thing, you know, you know what they say about when you do the same thing over and over and it doesn't work. Oh, it's insanity. Yeah, so, like, that's the thing. But, like, all right, so I, I'm curious, though. I, I don't want to hear both of you all's opinion, right? So we we just uh, – we watch poetically. I'll call it the complaining part about him. Like, we're complaining. But it's only a complaint or, like, you know, bitching if we don't have a solution. And if I'm not mistaken, I'm trying to, like, gauge where you all are headed. It seems like you both are – are on board with like he needs a lead assistant like he needs someone um someone there to like i guess like be like an apprenticeship like right you are the head guy you're the king in waiting even though you're the king with the title but no that's not a good one let's just call him an advisor right we'll go yeah, simple exactly he needs a conciliary that's what he needs like okay. <laughs> yeah <laughs> he needs one on offense one on defense so like you go back eddie jordan right who did he he had tom young as his like um, conciliary, right? You know, yeah. Tom Young was the old guy who was a former college, his former college coach. And Tom Young was not going to take 
an NBA get take or be offered an NBA head coaching job, right? Yeah. That wasn't going to happen. So it wasn't like there was a threat there, you know. So getting bringing in an old guy that he trusts would be would be great, I think, for for him. You think about like um, uh, Flip Saunders, right? You know, he had Randy Whitman. I don't know who Whitman had, but Flip, of course, also was experienced. You know, had a lot lot of experience as a coach, um, and so it's. If you go around, I, I just think that that is such a good idea. I can't remember which one of you had it, but I think that it's a it's a it's the perfect solution. And I think ideally he would have like, you know, one person who's been that head coach, and then having somebody who has a lot of strength and adaptability as a, as a you know offensive and defensive coordinator on both sides, you know, to to uh, manage the X and O's X's and O's a little bit. Um, and, and to bring some innovation to it. And for that, I mean, former G League coaches are, are great because stuff changes so much at the G League level that um, you're, you're, you're forced to constantly adapt and to come up with new ideas and figure out how to, how to make guys work in a, in a situation where there's a lot of flux and a lot of change. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that, yeah, I think he needs to get a veteran. Uh, I was just really trying to scan my brain of like the kind of the older veteran coaches that would be out there um you know I, I don't know but it really doesn't like you have to look at these guys that he would have a previous relationship with um you know he's come from a lot of different coaching staffs like we he just needs that like bernie bigger staff type like it's funny <laughs> that you said that because i actually thought that's the first thing that popped into my mind was bernie yeah, bigger yeah he, like, yeah he needs a he needs like a, just an old school like bernie bigger staff type guy like to come in and just be like, you know, saying like, yo, hold, nah, I wouldn't do this, or I wouldn't do it like that, or you know, you know, you you might have to talk to this player, like just somebody to bounce ideas off of and tell him how to manage this stuff so that he can learn learn and grow into his own style. But like he needs to see that, like, and especially when you look at, you know, in, in Denver, of course, you know, Mike Malone's not going to have much like. Uh, He's not going to have much problems like trying to get through to the players. You know, they, they've all he's, he's pretty much nurtured them from young guys and they were winning. So like he's not going to get, you know, talk back from, you know, bench players about their roles on the team. He probably just hasn't seen that like, you know, over the course of his last couple of years as coaching. And so I don't think that he, he obviously showed this season that he did not know how to handle that. And I think that what we're talking about as far as getting him an experienced Bernie Bickerstaff type of guy is a is a clear like tangible thing that they can do to help improve him as a coach for heading into next season. And actually, I got the probably I wouldn't necessarily say perfect guy, but might be a very good guy. Is when Sacramento fires um, Alvin Gentry. At Alvin the, Gentry, there you go. Alvin the Gentry, is, he, probably, he got be he might be looking over his shoulder at Alvin Gentry though, because you know Alvin Gentry would love to sneak up and take your job. Well, yeah, Alvin, how many times has he been the uh, interim coach? Yeah. <laughs> but he's a good coach. He's a snake. What about Dwayne Casey? Same thing. He'll probably snake him for the job. When, when Dwayne Casey eventually gets fired, yeah, a perfectly somebody like that who could just be your right-hand man on the coaching staff and let you know when the vibe filling off. Like, this is the, you need somebody to let you know, look, when the vibe yeah. is off, you got to step in and do something. There is a like, risk with that because – you know, if you bring in Dwayne Casey to be your lead assistant and the, 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 the season, the, 
it's really easy to fire the coach and because you've got somebody experienced and good right behind you, right? And so that that's the risk that you run if you if you bring in somebody. But the thing is, if you're successful, they can't fire you. So yeah. you know, you you, yeah. you have to to me, if it, I think it's worth the risk if I'm Wes Unsell Jr. to to bring somebody in just to help manage the the you know be the chief of staff, if you will. For his, uh, you know, for his coaching CEO type of role, but okay. Well, you you two have convinced me. I was uh, going towards, you know, former Donald Trump, uh, President Donald Trump would say, like, "You're fired. Like, get up out of here." Because, um, <laughs> like, uh, well, I don't want to say anything disrespectful about him, and I and I won't because he's a classy guy, and there's nothing to say disrespectful about him. It's just that um, a lot of the players we have, at least our young guys, maybe. KCP, who's got rid of, um, we got rid of Trez. He was he was really fucking with Trez's money, Aaron Holiday's money. Um, I don't think like Davis, like no, Davis was just. I think the team hated him. Uh, he was he was garbage. He was stealing money. Well, like uh, I'm trying to think like Rui and Denny, right? Like so they're at least here for the next two years unless we try to trade them. And it's like with those two. And adding in to the fact that, like, you, you thought, Troy, that, you know, he was de-emphasizing uh, Brad's primary great skill of scoring to make him, I guess, like a better passer from that point of attack. Um, so you still have, like, Brad here. Um, I just think it's maybe too many bodies to, like, repair the relationships that could possibly be tarnished this season. Like, Daniel Gaffer, I mean, we don't really put a mic into his face a lot, but you know, he's a human too. You, you work your ass off. You, you do everything they ask you to do. And then I'm relegated to the bench, you know, yeah. like, it's, and I'm a young player like that. They always talk about how like you need a good coach when they're young because you can like ruin them forever. Kind of like similar to kids. So I was leaning that way, but you, you guys have convinced me if they, if they get him a veteran coach, it's like, okay, we'll run it back. I'll, I'll support him for one more season. Well, I don't want to, I want to fire him. Not me personally, but and, and, and look, hey Ron, and I'll say this: you talk about a lot of these guys. You say, you know, he's ruining Thomas Bryant's career. Like, what, what, like, when are we going to start looking at Thomas Bryant for ruining Thomas Bryant's career? Like, I think that like there, there's a there's a little bit of that here. Like, everybody has to like take responsibility for their course of action, and mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and for for what it is, you know, that they are putting out there. And I think Daniel Gafford, like. He's, it, it, when you when you look at that stretch when they had that the, the, all those COVID uh, uh, injury or COVID uh, missed games and then they had the coaching staff that were, had COVID he had three coaches within the span of two weeks and and none of them seemed to be messing with uh, Daniel Gafford and that's not all that's not just like uh, that's not just West Unser Junior's problem like obviously like there are things that they're expecting from him that and that coaching room the room in general are not seeing out of him. And I can understand, like, it's like he does good and he should be on the court, but some of the mistakes that he makes on the court is really, like, like they're, like, unforgiv- not unforgivable mistakes, but it's just, like, the type of mistake where, like, like coaches get really upset because it's like, yeah, we went over this in the meeting room, like, three times, and you're still coming out, showing too hard on the pick and rolls, you're out of position, not making plays, and then, like, he gets yanked and he it loses... The, the the trust of the coaching staff. So like okay. I, I agree with what you're saying. Like 
to an extent, but like some of these, these guys have to start taking responsibility for, you know, why their careers aren't going the way that they would like, why they're not, you know, uh, blossoming on the court. Like th these guys are actively making mistakes. And, you know, a lot of that doesn't have to do with coaching. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I was biased towards the coach, you know, it was like, he could, yeah. like, I was pointing a finger at them, but yeah, no, fair enough. Well taken, point well taken. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that was a great point. Um, yeah, I think we pretty much pummeled this uh, around. Is there any parting shots before we uh, wrap this up? <laughs> no, I, I think, honestly, like, I, I think that we have seen and evaluated his flaws as a head coach. Mm -hmm. We've given him some tangible things that he could do to get better uh, as far as personnel-wise, some things that he can probably get better at as far as uh, making in-game adjustments. You know, I think that, you know, we're still within that honeymoon period. And so I think that, you know, we're being really, like, politically correct about, you know, our, our complaints about him for the season. And I think that, you know, next year the, the honeymoon period will be over and we'll get a chance to – to, to uh, be more critical as far as uh, how we can evaluate a real first, uh, like, like, like we said, a first time ever head coach on any level of basketball. Yeah. Well, yeah, next year he won't have a rookie excuse uh, or he reason. Said that, right? that excuse will be long gone. <laughs> right. He, he needs to, you know, spend the off season working on what, however it happens, he needs to spend it working on whatever it is that, that, that he's not doing well this year. And okay. uh, to, to, for this team to have a chance of being any good. Yeah, fair enough. I'll say there's no more criticism from me this year. I've gotten it all out. I'll make wait to promise. see. I, no, I, I, don't say, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if we can make promises that you can't keep, Ron. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I won't criticize him. Like I'm looking at it that you all have. I, I think, in my opinion, I think you all have the better of it. That he needs a lead assistant. Like no one. Like, I'm, I'm sure some folks, but this is the first time I, I hear, like, that point uh, explained in detail. So, um, it's evident that he needs that because my mistake, like, my grievances with him, like, are, like, rookie mistakes. Like, you know, you see a guy five for five, you ride that hot hand. You know, forget the, forget the script. And um, if he gets that guy, you know, I'm willing to give it one more year. If he doesn't get that guy... Get a, you know, time to move on. He's not, he's not the, the right coach for this plot, like this group of talent. And I think, that's all I have to say. Yeah, I think he also needs the, the front office to step up and, and do, do something with this roster because they've got a lot of guys that are, you know, I, I, I made the joke a few weeks ago, you know, that they, they have a lot of competition for the eighth best guy on the team, right? And um, they, they don't have a, a best guy on a team. They don't have a, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's like th this roster needs some work. Now they finally have a couple guys at the top. If, if they had one more about that good who could stay healthy, you know, maybe they could be pretty good, but you know, this, this team, they need talent and they've needed talent for several years now and they, they still don't have it. So. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I like, I like Chris Das Porzingis from a, talent perspective yes i i think that chris Stapps, i think that he can come out and do some things like he's already shown in his short tenure as a wizard that he can do some things i i think that they should have won that game uh against the clippers like they should they, they should have been more in the game against the lakers they definitely should not have gotten blown out by portland's g-league all-stars that they put out there on the court yesterday and josh hart yeah. 
Josh Hart, who admitted that he is neither a number one nor number two scoring option in the NBA, but somehow went out and had 44 points. I got to say, this is one of my favorite post-game interviews that I've I've ever seen. I usually don't watch them, but at least not in the last few years. But anyway, the Portland Trailblazers sideline reporter, I cannot remember her name, but anyway, she asks him, how did you get so many looks that you wanted, right? Or something like that. You know, the standard kind of reporter question. Yeah. And and he looked, Josh Hart looked at her and he just was like, looked puzzled for a moment. And he's like, sort of shrugs. And then he says, we were just running regular pistol stuff. I mean, it's like. <laughs> I said I wasn't going to say it. He was like, well, we just ran pistol and I kept getting open looks and I kept hitting them. That was it. That was the answer. Yeah, and that can't happen. Like, yeah. to Josh Hart. Like, they made Josh, Josh Hart look like LeBron James. Yeah, he looked like, yeah, it was, I mean, I was happy for him. He's a DMD person. I tell folks all around the country, like, we create the best basketball. Like, pick up game hoopers, real hoopers, professional hoopers, like DMV uh, has it. Chicago's close, but the, the West Coast fellas, they swear it's them. So I was kind of happy from that point, but when another player tells you he's basically a role player in a role player game, 44, I said I wasn't going to be critical. Just, you know, yeah. we have a defensive-minded coach. We have to get better. Yeah. All right. We're going to wrap it up there. Thank you so much, Troy. Um, so oh, yeah. once again, Troy, give a shout out to yourself and where people can find you. Yeah, thanks again, Kevin and Ron, for having me on. Like, I love like sitting here just talking Wizards musings, especially like having very smart, nuanced uh, conversations and takes. Like, like that's what it's all about. So I'm, I'm definitely a fan of you guys' work. Uh, uh, people can also, like I said, again, find me on Twitter at Troy Halliber, H-A-L-I-B-U-R. And uh, my most of my writing is in the Washington City paper. Be on the lookout for an article that I have coming out this week, which is essentially talking about where the Wizards season went wrong. And uh, there will be like, you know, nice sections in there talking about the job that uh, Wes Unsell Jr. has done. But I do think that, you know, as I alluded to on this podcast, that there are other factors uh, into that. And so, you know, the, 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 for, the front office is going to gain some culpability. You know, some of these players are going to gain some culpability and responsibility for what has happened. But I do think that, you know, uh, th- that this team has underperformed. And I think that, you know, we have to really take sit back and ask some, you know, tough questions about what has transpired here.